You're listening to episode 50 of the Becoming Aligned podcast. Welcome to Becoming Aligned, where we'll step away from the busyness of our days to explore what it looks and feels like to create meaningful lives that align with our personal values. My guests have found their own unique way to navigate through the distractions, the pressures, and the expectations of everyday life. And in the process, they have discovered the freedom to be truly themselves, to tune into their own heart, and to honor their own unique voice. I'll explore what motivates them, what challenges them, and what strategies help them work towards their goal in a way that nourishes their mind and body. I believe everyone has a story to share. And then we become a stronger community when we're able to listen and learn from those around us. I'm your host, Maureen Ryan, the founder of Ryan Wellness. I'm a Chicago-based self-discovery mentor and Pilates instructor. I hope these conversations will serve as inspiration and as a reminder that it's not about perfection, but the process of becoming aligned. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to share my conversation with you today. My guest is a truth teller who is very grounded in her sense of self. She leads with love and wears her values on her sleeve. She's a solo mother of four boys, an academic, an artist, and so much more. Cassie has so many nuggets of wisdom to share, and I'm so grateful that she took the time to share some of her story with us today. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Cassie. Thank you so much for joining me on the Becoming Aligned podcast. I'm like just, this is such a treat. I'm just so excited to have you here with me today, and I'm just really looking forward to our conversation. So thank you for being here. Thanks for thinking of me, Maureen. I'm pretty excited too. Yay. So I wanted to have you on for a few reasons, and I'd just like to share that with you here to kind of like help frame our conversation today. Um, You know, we've met in person like a few times over the course of the years, But what's really like struck me is what seems to be this like indelible mark that you leave on the people in your life. Like you seem to foster the sense of community or really like what seems, you know, like a family, like a large, extended, beautiful family. Like that's the impression I get um, from you. And you're sharing knowledge and sharing laughs and showing up for those around you and singing their praises and like raising them up, like all while having your own life, raising four boys and dealing with like the ups and downs of life and as an outside observer like it really makes me stop and like take notice you know i'd like i got you know gotta check this out because this just i just love what i see from what comes out from you you know and from my perspective you come across as having this like really strong sense of self which is what I think really resonates and connects with people. In fact, when I asked um, my partner, Cliff, who's like a good friend of yours, um, how we would describe you, the first thing he said is that if you looked up the word authentic in the dictionary, you would see a picture of Cassie. And I just love Aww, that. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he also added in that, like, you don't suffer fools, <laughs> but that, you know, <laughs> that if you get to know you are, like, one of the nicest people you could ever know. So, um what I'd love to do over the course of our conversation is explore like how you came to know and become grounded in your sense of self um, and stay true to yourself despite the ups and downs of life and the messages we might receive about who we're supposed to be um, and like how you care for yourself so that you can keep showing up for yourself, for your boys and you know to this larger extended beautiful family that you're a part of. So. 
um, I hope you'd be game for talking about that and to, you know, diving into that over the course of our time together. Wow. Um, that's an, absolutely, I mean, I, I, I'm like honored that you thought of me and those kind words that you yeah. just said about me. I'm kind of like, oh, cool. I want to meet her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she sounds really good. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm humbled. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, you know, you just kind of do your every day and I don't always necessarily pay attention if you Mm, will mm -hmm. to what's left behind when you make your mark Mm -hmm. um so it's really nice nice to hear so thank you but yeah I'm down let's talk about this yeah yeah I'm all about it all right awesome um yeah can you just like start us off so I gave like my impression of you from like as an outside observer to your world but like how would you describe yourself like if you were to give just like a an introduction or description of yourself? Like, how would you describe yourself and introduce yourself to others? So I, I tease my kids all the time about this. I tell them that I have a superpower. And my superpower is I do what I want. <laughs> um, and I stick by that. <laughs> I do what I want. I love and that. that's kind of how I govern myself. So, mm. um, and that's not anything new. I mean, you know, my, my grandmother was always like that. So I, I didn't really succumb to things like peer pressure. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily need to be um, in the center with, you know, lots of people around me. I'm pretty okay by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, if something doesn't feel good, I don't go in that direction. Um, so um, I guess if I had to describe myself, I really do stick by that. I do what I want. Um, and then I'm just and added to that, I guess, kind of blessed that I was raised by people who um, taught me that, this, you know, that, that mm, how do I say this? To do what I want is not a sort of narcissistic and you don't care about other people. Mm. Um, but the things that I want, what I've been lean, lean and taught to want, happen to be um, things that have been positive, you know, they just happen to be aligned with things that make my spirit feel good. And I guess make other people's spirit feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I love that answer. And like, I'm glad you mentioned your family. Cause I would love to like to take it back to like, you know, younger yeah. Cassie, like, what was she like? What was she getting into? Like, what were the things that younger Cassie enjoyed doing? And, you know, you mentioned kind of leaning, like the things you were leaning into um, at a younger age that like were like making, I don't know, making life better for others, even though you weren't maybe thinking about that. Like, but I'm just curious what you found yourself uh, absorbed in as a young person. So, you know, it's really interesting. So um, my mom was a teenage mother, right? So I was born in 1970. My mom was a teenager. So she was coming right there towards the, I guess, technically, if we do this by a, a timeline, would be technically sort of the end of the civil rights era, though, is there really such a thing? But you, mm. get, you get what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was raised in the same house with her parents because she was a teenager. Uh. So I'm in this multi-generational house. Um, my grandparents were much older. So for, you know, that time, I think they didn't have my my mother till they were in their 30s, which wasn't typical, you know. Mm -hmm. So I've got this multi-generational house and I'm an only child. Mm. So on one hand, I have, um, I'm surrounded by older people. Um, Yeah. My mom's still pretty young. So there's this sort of um, activist experience I have with my mom. So like there's pictures of me at like, eight years old with a dump cotch picket sign, you know, walking over the the Brooklyn Bridge. You know, we used to go to protest every year until King 
birthday was a holiday and you know yeah. I, you know that was very much who she was so I was a tag along because also as a single mom you know she didn't have childcare mm-hmm. for me so I was you know literally you know into this space of activism and social justice and not always knowing why I was yelling you know um, <laughs> justice for Eleanor bumpers but it was great to be in the street yelling you know that was just kind of part of the activity yeah and simultaneously though um being my my dad wasn't in the picture right so he left Mm -hmm. and so my grandfather struggled very hard with the idea of a man not taking care of his child Mm. definitely struggled with that um and what that resulted in was an overcompensation and me being uh, not in the traditional way but it me being spoiled Mm. (laughs) you know I was definitely his everything Mm. and I was raised by him in a way he did not raise his children and in Mm. hindsight I know that so where he was very strict and very limited on what he would let his children do as his grandchild there was a um a different space of freedom that I was allowed um, to explore and do things that, mm. you know, weren't made accessible to his children, his first go round, if you will, mm-hmm. as a parent. So for instance, if, you know, we say to little kids, Hey, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, they say all kinds of things, who knows, whatever it is. And, and, you know, I was just like every other kid, I had a list of, you know, this week I want to be this with this week I want to be that. Whatever it is I said, <laughs> he would come home the next day with something you know, so there was a time where I wanted to be an ophthalmologist. He came home with a cow's eye from the butcher shop. <laughs> like, here, fix his eye. <laughs> I was like, wow. That was the last time I wanted to be an ophthalmologist. I was like, bruh, you just brought me home an eye. <laughs> wow. I wanted to be a journalist. He dug out this typewriter out the basement, you know, click, 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 you know, one thing at a time. Um, so this multi-generational space, being the only child, kind of guess his way, um, you know, got to parent differently through mm-hmm. me. I had this mother that was, you know, very young and still very touched with, you know, in touch with rather notions of justice. And mm-hmm. I was everybody's tag along, you know, oh. I said, and it has a huge impact on, um, on who I am today, I guess, and, and how I view the world. Yeah, like I feel so like I was it, definitely into that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. I feel like it had to just instill this like belief that you could do anything. I mean, did you feel that way? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, but 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 this is the thing. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So two things going on. So literally, just made me think about this. My son said to me this week. He was like, "Mom, what's your purpose?" Mm. I said, what? Like, what do you like? You mean like, what are we having for dinner? What's the purpose <laughs> of the day? I mean, what are you talking about? What's my purpose, right? I am losing this 21-year-old. I want to talk to you about my purpose. Um, but, you know, we ended up having a conversation about, you know, what, what did that mean and how was it going to shape me? And did I think, you know, that, that question you asked, did I think I could do whatever I put my mind to? In mm. some degree, um, yes, but I got to tell you, it was really not that intentional. Mm. Um, you know, I lived in a micro space of love, right? So my mm. home was loving, but my macro space was yeah. absolutely chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm growing up in Bed-Stuy in the 80s, in the middle of the crack era. There's not much intentional goal setting. You know, the yeah. the, the objective is just not to get robbed. Yeah. You know? yeah. The objective is to just get home. You're When you're in survival mode, there's not a lot of, well, for me anyway, there wasn't a lot of, you know, 
let's set the goal and map out how we're going to make it manifest. That yeah. just wasn't my reality, you know, mm-hmm. um, almost a luxury that I wasn't afforded. But I will say that there was definitely an, a sense, my family is from the Caribbean, mm. there was definitely a sense of, of not necessarily what I think people would consider goals, mm-hmm. but they were clearly expectations. Mm. So I didn't have to set a goal of graduating from high school. I didn't set a goal to going to college. You just didn't have a choice. Right. That's what you were supposed to do, you know? Um, and I recognize also, and I say this a lot to my students, like I am fully aware that I am the reaping generation. Every mm. generation before me were sowers. Um, and there's a lot that comes with that. That's a lot of responsibility to know that I am in the the first generation that got to choose what they wanted to do. And that employment and, you know, travel and all these kinds of things, um, I had space to make decisions Mm -hmm. about my personal wants, where for the rest of them, the generations before me, their personal wants were, 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 um, I guess, narrowed. based on necessity, right? Mm -hmm. They were narrowed by necessity and also opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm aware of that. I'm I'm definitely aware and thankful for that. And that actually comes from both sides of my family. You know, I am truly the first one that can make decisions based on um, desire and in spaces where they weren't able to. Yeah, I, that's so interesting to hear you even describe like the reaping generation. Like that's, I've never heard that term used in that way before. It was really interesting. And I wonder like, when did you, when did you realize that? Was that like as a, when you're older or were you like aware of that at a young age? And did that like affect like the tr- the choices you made in terms of like what you studied or what you went to college or were you, was that something you kind of became conscious of later? Definitely came conscious of it later. Yeah. Definitely, you know, it was definitely a hindsight. Um, kind of like I knew, for instance, enough to know that, you know, my mother would make comments on things that I did that she would not have been allowed yeah. to do. You know, mm-hmm. so although my grandfather, you know, was not, I, I guess we kind of share him as the father figure, you know. Yeah. So he would definitely, she was like, he would have never let me <laughs> sniffle things. Like I went to public school for high school, you know. Yeah. Oh, my God. We could have never, we're Catholics. Catholics go yeah. to Catholic, you have to go yeah. to an all-girl Catholic. Yeah. And, you know, here comes Abby <laughs> and she's in public school. You know, so this, these, you know, very much aware that there were things I got to do that she didn't get to do with her siblings under his household. Mm-hmm. But, you know, definitely not recognizing the sacrifices and so forth that went before me. I, you know, definitely didn't realize it at the time. You yeah. Know, as yeah. a kid, I was like, well, too bad for you. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> right, right. You know, sucks to be you. I'm great. You know, definitely, definitely not conscious of it then. No, that makes sense because I feel like that's something we don't, most of us don't figure out, you know, until we're nah. older and then you add in other levels and layers to it. But um, yeah, right. I, I'm always so curious if like the things that people got absorbed in when they were young and like the things that they were surrounded by, like how that influences like the journey they go on and maybe, you know, like what they study in school or the path they go on. And Kelsey, can you share what you studied in school and like um, why you chose to, to study that and follow that path? Yeah, so it's, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm a sociologist, right? Okay. So I study sociology, and I um, also have a degree in African-American studies. 
you know, it's again, like, mm-hmm. you know, Monday morning quarterback. Yeah, you were marching for social justice at five. <laughs> you know, is it really a shock <laughs> that you became a sociologist? You know, right. no. You know, you study race, class, and gender. Duh. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are kind of things definitely, you know, looking back on it, hey, I've been doing this for a long time, yeah. you know. Um, I'm going to go back to my, my son's question about this life purpose thing. He asked me earlier this week. And once we got to a serious part of the conversation, I was no longer dismissing him. Yeah. You know, I recognize that I was always teaching. Mm. You know, I, I can't say that I went through life going, hey, I want to be a teacher. Um, not at all, because my formal teachers, they were pretty mean people. I didn't want to be them. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't <laughs> nice people. I didn't want to do what they did. You know, they hit you with rulers. Like, I don't want to do that for a living. Um, but the notion of disseminating knowledge at some point, I have to accept, like, that's literally how I played. I was an only child. I yeah. would read the encyclopedia, and then I would Aww. pretend to you know, line my dolls up like my class and share what I learned about, you know, whatever it is I looked up in the encyclopedia that day. So, Aww. you know, hindsight again. Like, wow, I was always teaching. Like, yeah. you know, that space is, a, is something that, you know, even in my free time as a kid playing, that's how I occupied it. Oh, that's so interesting. And it's funny because like I've heard other people share like stories like that where they get their dolls all out <laughs> and like they're teaching or, like right. it's so in them to just like yeah. share and yeah. Like so did you know did were you able to like call that early on? Like did you know you wanted to teach or did you like no. okay. Yeah. No. And I'm gonna be real honest with you you know, putting it into language didn't happen till this week. So my son made me yeah. think about this notion of life purpose. Aww. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I did used to teach a bunch of dolls. You know, like, <laughs> hey, you're right, you know. <laughs> I've always been a teacher. Thanks, kid. Um, you know, no, I actually had not paid enough attention to know that, you know, in all spaces, if I look back on my career and look back at the different opportunities that I followed, you know, it, it always involves a classroom or some space of, um, you know, the person with this set of knowledge who's going to disseminate it onto someone else. So, okay. yeah, but no, I, I hadn't really thought about it so forced to. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Because, like, you're just doing it. You're, like, out there putting it into action yeah. and, like, figuring things out and making things happen. Yeah. So did you, when you finished college, did you start teaching right away? Um, how did, like, how did that so work funny. for you? Yeah, so I college and I was in a space between having to make a decision of what I was going to do next. I was offered a fellowship at uh, Phillips Academy Andover where I would tar- start teaching that summer mm. and if everything went well, they would bring me on full time to teach. And it was a, a, a recruiting program for teachers of color in boarding school. Okay. So I taught that summer and I absolutely loved it, but at the same time, I received the fellowship to Northwestern. So I went that route. But immediately, I mean, immediately after graduation, I went down to Andover um, to start mm-hmm. teaching. So I spent my summer there, but I opted to take the the, um, the graduate fellowship at Northwestern. Um, and my favorite part was teaching, you know. Mm-hmm. So I got my, you know, the TA award and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was absolutely my favorite part. Um and in, in being in academia is definitely the classroom versus the research, you know, um, and finding spaces where the teaching part is still valued has been a bit of a struggle. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And because like even I, I think about the people who I know who've met you, it's just like that it seems to be such this connection, like, well, you know, clip through Northwestern and it just seems like you have this like 
huge connection of people that you've met. And I don't know if it's all been through teaching or just through just college experience or just life experience. Um, but there seems to be this, and maybe it reminds me of teaching in a way, like just this um, enjoyment or, you know, interest in like just being in it with people. And I know you like your alone time as well, but you just seem to have like being in the space and living in the space rather than uh, I can see maybe not being so interested in research. I don't know. It's like, just listen to your story. I was just finding that interesting because you seem to have such beautiful connections, Cassie. Like you seem to have this really strong network of friends and um, that cover a variety of, of time. And I'm just curious, you know, is that something that just happens naturally or is that intentional? Because you are also an only child. So I'm just curious um, about what that feels like for you. Girl, I don't know. So, <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of go like back and forth on this because I'm truly an introvert, right? Yeah. So I kind of, the best way I can explain this is usually revolving around work. Like I am, I, I perform extrovert, you know, mm. give me my stage, which is my classroom or, you know, and I'm going to do everything I can do to make sure that you feel appreciated and censored I'm not going to stop till you get it and you know mm. these are the things that I value and when I'm off the stage if you will leave me alone right? <laughs> so, that's kind of so when I'm on I'm on when I'm off you know yeah. please don't come over to this side of my world um the thing about Northwestern that was because the cliff was never my student he was just a year a year beneath yeah. me yeah um but for me at Northwestern, um, it was a culture shock coming from undergrad. And as a black woman, I needed mm. to find my community there. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very spread out community, which, which wasn't true for my undergrad. We were very, very tight knit. Uh -huh. um, and I think there are spaces and ways in which grad school was structured that students of color as grad students um, were expected not to have relationships with the undergrad. Mm. Uh, we were only to sort of mingle amongst ourselves to be taken seriously mm. as, you know, the future of academia. Mm -hmm. So I completely um, rebuked any of that because mm -hmm. I was more in need of something that felt like home than this sort of artificial divider of people based on year of school. Yeah. So, you know, I tutored at it. We had a space in Northwestern called the Black House. I tutored at the Black House. Um, while I was very cognizant not to party with undergrads, you wouldn't find <laughs> me at the parties. Um, but, you know, um, you know, I would be, you know, in spaces to support their whatever. So if they were having a march, if they were having a talk, a fireside, mm. you know, I was always, I kept, I kept hours at the Black House. Um, uh, tutoring hours for whatever you may need help with. So I stayed centered that way. And then the other part is you're right. You know, my age was the same as a lot of the other yeah. guys. So I needed to yeah. help me out. Where am I? Um, so, you know, th that explains, I guess, I hope it explains yeah. some of my, you know, Northwestern friendship um, was really, a, it was a very isolating time for me mm. had it not been for, um, those undergrad relationships, you know, the bulk of my relationships from Northwestern are with the undergrads, not with my, my graduate students. Yeah. At all. Okay. Interesting. Well, and that's so interesting that they, and I get it. Like I can see there being these like boundaries laid out and like, um, 
But I love that you like just knew yourself well enough to be like, yeah, no, that's not going to work for me. And, you know, did what worked for you. And I imagine like, did did anyone push back against that for you? Did you ever have to like stand up for yourself? Oh, yeah. Gosh, yeah. Oh, okay. absolutely. Right. Yeah. That's when you fall back on the I do what I want. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I definitely, I, <laughs> you know, I caught, I caught flack from that departmentally. I caught, you know, flack mm. from other grad students. Um, in my department, sort of, you know, I'm not taking this seriously type of thing. Yeah. Um, your students aren't going to respect you. You know, those that kind of, of stuff. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Didn't change anything. I mean, <laughs> if there was a, um, you know, any of the detriments that may have come from it, you know, came from the, um, you know, from the scholastic side of it, but not my personal personal relationships. But those weren't, those weren't up for negotiating. Yeah. Those weren't up for negotiating. My peace of mind was not negotiating. Yeah. And like, but that's something that seems like something that you knew, like, you know, I mean, I feel like some people might be really swayed to go the other way and be like, okay, here's what's expected of me. Do you think that just came from you, like being grounded as a young person, like having that, you know, micro world that was, I don't know, like telling, you know, kind of helping to foster that within you? Or was that something that you kind of had to learn on your own? And you're like, yeah, no, I'm just going to stand up for myself and not go the other way like I I need a my sense of well-being or my sense of self is like more important than this other stuff <clears throat> does that make sense Cassie um I think so and I don't think mm-hmm. that the two are mutually exclusive I mean Got so it. looking back I could definitely say you know I was sort of raised um you know my grandfather used to always say to me his his, his uh quote was like you got nerve girl and that was a compliment <laughs> right it was a compliment you know I'm going to do this and whatever mm-hmm. this may be Um, so, you know, I've sort of always been wired that way. There have been, you know, times where probably what wasn't the smartest, um, I don't know, you know, career wise decision Mm. and things of that nature, but that, that was always sort of secondary, um, based off of what just felt right. And I'm, I'm okay with standing on what just feels right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do think some of it comes from, um, how I was raised, I think com- some of it comes from really good or bad, just sort of being stubborn. Um, <laughs> just, you know, I'm not doing it. And that's the end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm definitely guilty of a little bit of that. A lot of that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, again, it's one of those things where hindsight, do I think that a lot of it comes from how I was raised? Definitely would not have been able to tell you that at the time. Yeah. But thinking about it now, yeah, I think it was definitely fostered um fostered inside of me yeah absolutely you know, okay I don't want to dive into this too much but like would you struggle in those moments were you like oh maybe I should maybe I shouldn't were you like uh-uh like I'm, I'm gonna do what I, like what you said I'm gonna do what I want like, <laughs> like was yeah, that this, so this is the, this is really the truth yeah no God, great. there's okay. no real struggle I'm yeah. very pretty much clear on what I lean towards what feels good and what doesn't feel good and it's I don't I you know I I would be forced to have to really try to think at times where I had to waffle on uh-huh. should I or shouldn't I based on something that just didn't feel right, you know? So, yeah. like, the ongoing joke, I'm 50 years old. I've never had a drink in my life. And, yeah. oh, they, that's just hilarious. That's the funniest thing, you know? Everyone tries to give me <laughs> It's not going to happen. Cut it out. <laughs> Everybody wants to be my first. Like, it's some great big accomplishment. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I've never been interested. I, yeah. and, you know, it's just, and it's not like this willpower. Oh my goodness. Right. I, it, I, it's not what I do. Any yeah. conversation, you know, period. 
So, you know, there's not many spaces where I find myself really, you know, struggling on what is, you know, the side that feels good and should I indulge it? No, the minute something doesn't feel right, I'm not going that direction. Oh, my God. So I, I love that. Okay. And, okay, so you said feel, and I, I, I'm just diving in just out kind of curiosity. When you say, yeah. like, feel good, like, so you're, are you kind of just like, can you just feel it in your body? Like, mm. Like as soon as you get a feeling like that's not, that's not for me. Like you just know it. Is it just, that's what you're tapping into. Like you're just, you're not getting caught up in your head, but you're like going on like what, how it feels within you. Is that like, is that how you feels it, for you? It really is instinctual. It yeah. is really instinctual. It's really instinctual. Um, well, uh, physical things are sort of like, you know, so like drinking or whatever, mm-hmm. I'm not going down this alley or whatever, that <laughs> kind of stuff is instinctual. Um, and then I think some of it, other, other things, are kind of based off of my wiring and notions of of my values and justice or, you know, mm. what I think is right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that's just sometimes it's really just kind of black and white, you know, yeah. it's just really sort of that, you know, that looks like it's fair and that looks like it's not. So I'm going to go on the side that seems fair. You know, it just right. seems a little, you know, it, it's, um, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of A or B kind of situation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so it's a mixture of both, I guess, but it's, I, I can't really think of these decisions where I've got to figure it out. Yeah. Know? And I'm picturing I need you to think about it. Yeah. Well, and I'm picturing you're, you're an academic. So like there's, there's things you're, you're knowledgeable or, or you're read up on things or you're, you're probably like, I can imagine maybe I'm wrong, Cassie. So correct me if I'm wrong, but like, if you were like, not sure of something, you would probably just like research it or read about it or learn more, I would imagine. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. By far, because there's a lot more I don't know than I do know. So right. I gotta go figure it out. Right? <laughs> I gotta know what the heck is going on. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, now you've got like four young boys. Um, who? Well, I say young boys. I know they're not young boys anymore. Can you say like the the ages that they are? Like uh, the age range that your boys are? Yep, they are 24, 23, 21, and eighteen. Ooh. Yeah, so you yeah, had. They're yes, they're all felony age. I tell them all the time, whatever you do. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I can't help you. Think about it. Think about your choices now. <laughs> they oh. are all 18 and older. Woo. And, okay, so they're close in age, too, Cassie. So you were, yeah. like, a young mom with four young boys at one point. Like, and were you, were, were you, te- were you te- like, yeah, I'm curious, what was your life like at that point in time? Like, were you teaching, um, and what was life like for you as a new mom? Okay, so a lot going on, right? Yeah. So, um, and the boys were, so the first two are not a full year apart. Okay. And at that point, I had left Northwestern, I moved to Virginia, absolutely, absolutely against the advice of my dissertation chair. I, mm. If she could have, she would have laid down in front of that plane and stopped me mm. from leaving Chicago. <laughs> Absolutely was against the whole entire idea. Um, so those first years, um, well, you know, I was, it, it was baby world. You know, yeah. I, had, um, I had three kids in three years. You know, it was a lot. Um, but I guess I don't know any difference. So yeah. I can't explain it. Like, people are like, oh, your kids are so close together. Wasn't it different with you? It spread them apart. How the hell do I know? I have them <laughs> close together. Like, it's all I know. I have no idea if it would have been. Who the hell knows? Um, 
lot of enjoyment that came with it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I definitely did not suffer being mm-hmm. a parent of little children. That would be a lie, you know, of having yeah. them close together. It was not, uh, I mean, I tell people all the time, I, it is much easier for me personally, um, you know, parenting them under 10 than it is now at mm. 24. Mm. Give me back those days <laughs> in a minute. Um, <laughs> bigger kids, bigger problems. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Give me the little kids who did what they were told. Life was great. Um, but, you know, they're my kids. So they, you know, this whole, you know, decision making and critical thinking and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, God, just do what I say. But my control days are over, right? They've, they've got their own lives. Um, but I. But, well, when they were first born, I was adjunct, you know, because I was time-wise. I was working as an adjunct, and I used to do a uh, peer on a, a BT television show called Teen Summit. So I used oh, to wow. do that um, on the weekends. It was um, a, a live show, and I was their um, in-house sociologist. So ah. that lasted for a while. Um, and then we moved, and at that point, I was pretty much moved to Atlanta. And I was pretty much um, an at-home mom at that point, um, probably for about two years. And then I worked in a nonprofit um, up until, oh, I want to say till my oldest went into first grade. So I was working at a nonprofit. um, And then we moved to New Jersey. And I went back to adjuncting, worked at a number of nonprofits. Um, Their dad died. Their Mm -hmm. father died when... How old were they? I guess it's, how old are we now? So it's been 13 years. So okay. somewhere around that 11-year-old mark was my oldest. Okay. Um, and that was a, obviously there. Yeah, that's a total game changer, right? Mm-hmm. Life, as you know, it goes upside down. you now raising these four little boys yeah. and managing um, this thing called childhood grief, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a game changer. That's an absolute game changer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's... It, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but mm-hmm. I won't say that it, and I hope this doesn't sound callous, um, but it definitely didn't destroy us. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would want my children not to have known that pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I could, I, yeah. you know, I wish there was a way that they didn't have to experience it, but life doesn't work that way. And I think that they are doing, it's a constant thing. It's not over, but I think they are doing a, pretty damn good job of navigating life with Mm. all of their questions and disappointments and all that kind of stuff that comes with with a parent having having passed at an early age particularly Mm. um i think for them and i guess i can't speak for them i can only you know from what i witnessed um particularly being boys without a father Mm. um you know is is a set of challenges that i think are are um well were i guess still are um, you know, they still have to work through in different spaces. Yeah. I think they've done a pretty damn good job. Yeah. Well, and they, there's just, I get the sense that there's like this beautiful bond and I, I can only imagine that experiencing something like that, like, you know, might pull you apart in some ways, but might also bring you together in some ways. And, um, just navigating that all together as a family. Um, and I'm yeah, just wondering what helped what helped you to get through that um like what did you lean on for support um like what values did you kind of really kind of lean on for yourself yeah uh, how did you get through that Kazi? so 
this is just kind of strange, but definitely, you know, looking back, absolute truth. So I had these two old, my two oldest are 11 months apart, right? Yeah. But those two never fought. Like, like, what do you mean they don't fight? You know, little <laughs> kids, they're fighting over a lollipop. They were inseparable. There was Aww. no arguing. They shared everything. Oh, life was great. And then their dad died and they tried to kill each other. Mm. Oh, my God. Maureen, mm. the first two years. I mean, and I, when I say literally, I could not. There were times where I could not shower because I knew <sighs> for that 15 minutes, it wow. would not be safe to not have them in the same space. Wow. So I was at work one day. I was uh, working at a nonprofit, and I got a phone call that my neighbor, uh, my, my neighbor was babysitting, um, and she was a freshman in college. She was mm. watching the boys. I was at work. Her dad was on the way to my house because second one slammed the door on the oldest one and his arm went through the door oh gosh so it was like right it was 87 stitches later oh my right? gosh like yeah it was physically insane <sighs> for about two years but I tell you what that was the day I resigned from my job mm. that was it that was absolutely so this kind of like and, and and I was working at a nonprofit for um youth offenders 16 to 24. So it was a mm. very taxing space yeah. of constantly um, being needed by young people. And then I realized that, you know, there's four young people that yeah. kind of need you back home right now, right? You know, like, yeah. oh, hell is breaking loose. Um, so, you know, making that decision to, to sort of leave where I was career and literally spend that year at home, I would adjunct at night. So okay. I to go to bed and I can get a babysitter. And then wow. I spent the days with them and picking them home to school. So I worked nights. Wow. Um, and then, and then, was, and that was probably the smartest decision that I ever made in terms mm. of my family and trying to get us back on spaces where we were healing. We couldn't sort of stay busy, which I think was kind of my first um, reaction. You know, when you realize, okay, yeah. I'm not a single parent right now. I am a solo parent. Like, yeah. you know, all of this is coming just on me. We're sort of work, 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 work. You know, we're going to solve this. Um, so slowing down and putting that attention back into the family was definitely a game changer for mm -hmm. us. Um, absolutely the smartest thing I ever did. Absolutely, absolutely the smartest thing. And, you know, I don't in any way have any, you know, uh, formalized studied in parenting. I can only have my experience. But yeah. I know that if I was ever given the opportunity to this notion of being an at-home parent, um, those are the years that I would do it versus the early years, right? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, a lot of people feel like being an at-home parent is this, you know, at birth time until yeah. they go to school. No, for me, it's the school years, right? It's the yeah. years where I can really talk about what your day was like. I can, you know, circumnavigate peer pressure. We can have conversations. Yeah. I need to know what you learned in school versus the years where you just want to play and who's changing your diaper. Right. Somebody else can do that. <laughs> right. These, these are the years that are sort of where you critically need somebody to unpack what your teacher told you, you know, <laughs> maybe fill in something else, mm -hmm. who did what, you know. So, um, you know, being at home for them during those years, particularly with what they had experienced, was um, was a blessing. It was definitely it was definitely a blessing in disguise for us. Yeah. Okay. There's like a couple things I want to ask you about with that. And yeah. The one yeah. thing, one thing is like for you, even just raising your, your boys, like I, 
I'm wondering how much like what you learned in school and like, you know, your course of study and just how you approach parenting. Um, I get the sense that you're like, you give them like leeway and maybe I'm wrong, Kesley, so correct me if I am, but like to, to make their own choices and to like have consequences for those choices, but also to work it out with you. Um, and like, it seems like you guys have really good conversations and you've created an environment where that's possible and they know that's possible. Um, Am I right on that? And, like, please feel free to, like... I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I kind of, I don't know how well I did it. You know? So there were definitely things that were, were conscious, and some of them were just, like, listen, this is just a matter of time, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm very clear about, I don't help any child of mine with homework after the fourth grade. That is a rule. You are on your own. Um, and, and I shouldn't say help. I don't check homework after mm. the fourth grade. If you need help with something, I will help you. But if I'm going to ask you if you did your homework, am I going to sign the stupid pad by the teacher <laughs> that said, yes, I saw that my son did pages five to seven? I'm not doing any of that. Absolutely not. Here's your assignment. You were told what to do. If you don't do it, the consequences are on you. I got other things to do, right? I'm busy. <laughs> I'm not micromanaging yeah. a 10-year-old over arithmetic. It's not going to happen. Um, definitely had a lot of teachers who did not like me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they did not appreciate my parenting whatsoever. I don't care. I'm not signing those stupid books. Um, for me, it's a sort of, you know, it's a sense of, sense of accountability. And if yeah. you don't do your homework and you want to know why you have detention and you miss basketball, well, trace the line back, buddy. Trace <laughs> it back to the fact that you didn't do your homework. Ta-da! You know, those types of things. Um, so, so yeah, there are, you know, there's some space for them to make their own decisions. I, I, um, they are definitely, I think, affected by my notion of, you know, justice. Mm. And they carry that into their classroom. That's made educating, their education experience difficult. I will mm. say that. They, they, um, not all educators are and I say this as an educator, yeah. are open to being challenged by children. And I raise children who, not disrespectful, mm-hmm. um, but who would challenge things that weren't in line with what their mother told them. Mm. <laughs> right? Not in line with what I learned, but, you know, so those spaces were difficult sometimes. Um, you know, they definitely rate that boy educating the four of them um, in the greater Newark, New Jersey area was difficult we have moved schools many a time um and I would say I would say at least 90 percent of the times in which I've pulled a child out of school or moved them to another school was somehow based off an issue of race you know at least 90 percent of the time over something that was either happening in the curriculum Mm. um a way in which a teacher was speaking to them um, a way in which a teacher is speaking to me. I've had mm. one told me he was so surprised that I know how to speak well. I'm like, oh, what goodness. is happening? Where are we? Oh. Right. It's just like, yo, what is going yeah. on here? Um, I don't know if I, I verge off topic a little bit. No, um, no. But I, I, I hope that I've created spaces where they um, know that I am there to help them, but I'm not going to um, protect them from their consequences. Mm-hmm. That I'm not going to do. Um, but if you, you know, you need assistance, well, we can work our way out of that, which also requires, you know, learning. And I hope I taught, um, forgiveness and, 
mm. you know, being honest and, you know, knowing that there's a safe space call home. So even when you mess up, as long as you put all the cards on the table, you know, mm. we're good. I tell my sons all the time, like, before I go into this school, is there anything I need <laughs> to know? You know, you do not let me be embarrassed. Tell me everything. And then, you know, I can work from there. Yeah. Um, definitely been an adventure but I, you know i do hope that 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 we and i think the ability again of having to been home being home for them in that you know you know i don't know what what they, they guess their ages were like six through twelve yeah. you know at, at that time and then taking that until you know i guess they were i guess then eight and fourteen um you know it was really helpful it was very very helpful and how we um you know, respected each other and our bonds and our challenges and things of that nature. So I'm like still, I'm stuck on um, how many times you've had to move schools, Cassie. And like, that's... Oh God, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like, okay. It's it's, it's, it's Yeah. And it's, the fact that it has to revolve, that it's revolved around race a number of times. And, but I'm, I'm also like, but they move schools. They didn't just stay like, we're going to just deal with this. We're going to find a, a different, try to find a different fit. Um, yeah, like was that hard? I mean, obviously that was hard. That's an obvious question. <laughs> was that um, <laughs> like how? Like, did you like lose hope in our education system, or did you like? I mean, I know you are an educator and you're like believe in it in many ways, but I have two thoughts, I guess, going on in my head that I'm trying to get out. One is like, yeah, like what did you struggle with with the education system, and then also like just that you had, I guess, the courage or the knowing to like, we're not dealing with this and we're going to move out. And to know, like, I feel like that um, leads by example, like that when things are not good and we have any control of the situations, we're going to do the best we can to find a different fit. Um, I guess that's what I'm I'm really struck by. But um, I don't know if you were able to find a better fit. Was it just something you were just constantly trying to find? Um it's, it's a constant trying to find, and it's also for totally different people. Yeah. So I went to the same school from first grade to eighth grade, and I thought, okay, so will my children. Yeah, yeah. right. You know, so I had this <laughs> expectation that, you know, you're just going to put you in the school, and I'll see you when it's time to go to high school. Yeah. Um, and then there's just the logistics of that. It was literally, literally about two years where all four of them were in different schools in three different oh cities. God. And I had to be to work by 9 a.m. I mean, it was Ooh. absolute, you know, tight ship run around. But this, these are the spaces where each child was sort of safe. Because what one worked mm. for one didn't work for the other. Mm-hmm. And not always, not always just, um, you know, um, like for one, he's a singer. So he needed to be put in a place with the arts. So yeah. you know, that drove the move um, for him. Um, yeah, no, the logistics behind it was crazy. Yeah. But <laughs> I am firmly, you know, they have enough obstacles that sort of came with their father passing. And their mm-hmm. father killed himself. So there's mm-hmm. also this extra layer of what it means to raise a child whose parent committed suicide. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I was not going to allow anything or anyone else to injure them. So I don't expect everything, you know, and I'm stubborn. I have no problem saying that. So I don't expect everything to necessarily be exactly the way I want it, though Mm -hmm. I kind of (laughs) do. But but you can't do anything that's going to injure their soul. That you're not going to do. Mm -hmm. So I may not particularly like your approach to this. I may like, okay, those things, be realistic, Kathy. But there are definitely things that you cannot attack a child's spirit 
mm. and think that I'm going to be okay with that or that they need to stay here. Absolutely not. You know, absolutely not. So um, those decisions were, were I, I, the decisions were easy. Yeah. The logistics on where to mm. next were difficult, but you know, do you stay here in a space where you can't trust the the, the adult decision makers? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I always use myself as the barometer. And that's kind of what I say is that, you know, if you would be, uh, if you're going to be reckless with your words and your tone and your issues of race with your, you know, issues of classism with me, and I'm an adult mm-hmm. who can push back. Mm-hmm. What then are you doing to children who yeah. do not have a toolbox, yeah. you know, to, to navigate this space? So that's usually my barometer, you know, is, is how do you interact with me? And if I feel as though, um, you know, I have to, you know, defend my notions of what is, you know, whatever we're arguing about, then surely I know my child is probably in a space where they're not being honored. So mm-hmm. let's go find another one. So a lot of movement. A lot, a lot, a lot of movement. A lot of movement. <laughs> a oh lot my movement. goodness. Okay. So I'm wondering, because I know you have such a strong sense of self. Is that, is that something you wanted each of your children to have as well? And um, like, and they're all different, right? Like they have different, you know, and yeah. so how did, um, how do you approach, how do you approach that? Um, and is this something that you think about? Um. You know, I do think about it, right? Mm-hmm. Because at some point, like for, for, and I do a lot of these kind of like mantras, quote things for my mm-hmm. children. So we're governed over the idea of roots and wings, right? So it's my job to give you both. So I give you that foundation of the roots. And then eventually, you know, you have to spread your own wings. Mm-hmm. So I've got to work really hard on making sure you know that you can always come back um, to this foundation that's set with your roots. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's conscious. That's conscious. But there are spaces where I see them do this thing called life yeah. and I go whoa bro you do that a lot better than I could <laughs> right you, know, you do that a lot better than I can and so those are the things that um you know really sort of make me feel good when I know that they mm-hmm. I, I'll give you an example of my oldest who is what is he 24 now mm-hmm. he's in his second year of grad school and he is a uh second through fifth grade social studies teacher mm-hmm. um and he played sports through college and loved it, right? That's what yeah. he did. He got injured and it, it ended his, you know, big moments of, of his sports career. And I watched him continue to show up as an active teammate, right? Mm-hmm. And they'd had opportunities to play in spaces where I knew he wanted to play. And, but what he never did was, field well if he, I shouldn't say he never did I don't know if he did yeah I can't I don't know what his internal <laughs> thought process was but he never displayed mm. anything less than a team member and yeah. I don't know if the only child in me could have did that <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. I would have been somewhere yeah. like nah I'm not going you know, I'm just gonna watch a movie there's something else I could be doing I don't even want to go you know so he shows up in spaces mm. constantly there as the you know uh, support as mm. a, you know you know I even though I can I don't know if that's also part of being an old the oldest child right yeah you know, sort yeah. Of making sure that everyone right making sure everyone else is okay even though I can't be in you know uh full participation truly just really being there at a hundred percent and I was like wow dude I I, I think 
think I'm too shallow to have done that. <laughs> um, but, you know, those are, you know, places where I see them do things that I'm like, you know, you got this. I, yeah. I, can, I can close my eyes and know that you've done well. Ah, that's beautiful. Yeah, and I love the I love the roots and the wings. That's really so. Is that something you guys like? You say that like that's kind of the mantra of the family. Like that's something you return to again and again and instill that oh, yeah. in them. I had it painted on our wall. Oh, <laughs> painted on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got a bunch of them, but that's definitely a governing one for us. You know, I needed them to know um, that home is always a space, safe space for them. I'm very clear to them that I do not lie to them. They may hate every word that's coming out of my mouth, but I can guarantee you it's the truth. Um, you know, so those are things that we had to, you know, work on, you know, knowing that there's a, you know, because there's a whole world of people out there who will lie to you and yeah. manipulate you yeah. and will say whatever you want. Um, so you need to know that there's at least one space where you yeah. can know that the person on the other end can be fully trusted. Um, and you know, that's, I feel is my responsibility to them. So, you know, there are a lot of hard conversations, you know, there's a lot of things that sometimes I felt that they were, um, you know, I wish I didn't have to have these conversations with Mm -hmm. them, but you know, that's, that's not the way the world works. So we have to have a difficult conversation. Um, and it's just my responsibility to make sure that, that they are, um, equipped to, if not handle it, um, at least find the process of how they can handle it you know how do mm-hmm. I get help handling whatever yeah. this is um but being informed at the very least with as, as much truth as possible mm. Cassie there was another part when you were telling your story earlier of like raising your boys and that was that you were you were with them during the day and then you were teaching at night and I was like oh my goodness I was just thinking about you in that moment like in terms of how exhausted Um, of how challenging that might be. And I know you're not in that period of life anymore, but like, what have you found uh, that helps you care for yourself? Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you turn to, like, just to to take care of yourself? So at the time, this wasn't something I was thinking about. I mean, that's just, you know, that's the truth. Yeah, Um, yeah. But Maureen, I'm going to tell you this. I guess I'm, I'm an absolute idiot. I did not feel overwhelmed. Yeah. It's just what you had to do. Right. It's just that simple. And I didn't feel like I wasn't enjoying life and blah, 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 blah. No, I love being their mother. Mm. You know, I absolutely love parenting. We had a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. And one of the things about being a solo parent and admittedly being a self-control freak Mm. is I didn't have to do anything in tandem. I raised Mm. my kids the way I wanted to. I didn't have to discuss it with a partner. We didn't have to mull over should they or shouldn't they. There was no one to discuss anything with. And quite frankly, that created some wiggle room that I liked. Mm. So does that mean that, you know, um, you know, I'm being callous to the fact that if that's not, doesn't mean any of that. Yeah, it just yeah. strictly means as a parent, for someone who does what they want to do, <laughs> when I don't have to take another voice into consideration, yo, this right now, I like it. <laughs> I, I like it. So I enjoyed parenting them. You know, I did what I wanted to do. Yeah. I'm in the way I wanted to do it. And I didn't have to go into discussions with that with anybody. Um. Even yeah. if my decisions were rough or tough or whatever, 
I don't care. We're going to, you know, we're going to do it this way. Um, and, you know, there, there's a bit of luxury to that. And, yeah. and I, I fully luxuriated in it. <laughs> you know, I, I like solo parenting. I have no qualms saying that. Um, I don't know if I went off a little, a little bit off track on that. So <laughs> no. I never felt like I was suffering yeah. you know, working at night and raising them during the day. That never felt burdensome, right? Yeah. That, you know, it didn't feel like, oh, my God, I'm pulling my hair off. I can't do this by myself. It was like, hey, I kind of like doing this. <laughs> so let's go. You know, we're having a great time, you know. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know if that's just perspective or the way I'm wired, but it definitely was not a and – I, and I get a lot of like, hey, you know, you're going to get married. The kids need a father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. my God, that sounds like the absolute worst <laughs> idea ever. No, I don't – you know, this, why would you want that for me? This is great. Uh, but, again, I'm praying that I'm not coming off callous. Um, yeah. But, you know, recognizing that with the cards that we would dealt definitely made it – um, in a way where I do not feel as though it was, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a hard burden. My children are not a burden. Yeah. <laughs> they definitely were not a burden. They're definitely not a burden. And I don't feel as though I've sacrificed for them either. Yeah. And I don't feel like I missed out on life. I don't feel like they owe me something for the, absolutely not. We're having a hell of a good time. And we've never not. Yeah. Um, well, they may I... be able to tell you something different. <laughs> that lady's crazy, but <laughs> I can't see the nuts. But... Well, I love that because I feel like so often the story that gets told is, you know, the struggle and, and you know, like the overwhelm. And so I love that you're just like you're sharing your experience. And I think that's, I don't know, I think that's good because it's, you know, I think people feel like, oh, even if they're not necessarily feeling a struggle, it's almost like that's the storyline it's supposed to be or... um I don't know. It's like... Now, don't don't let me misrepresent. Yeah, childhood grief is a is a horrible thing to have. To oh my deal gosh, with. I can only imagine. It yeah. is a beast. It's a hungry beast. You got to feed it all the time. Mm. You know, and then you're multiplying it by four. Each child has a totally different experience with it. Yeah. Um. You know, and then they have their interactive experiences together. It's bananas. Yeah. You know that part is indeed. You know it's difficult but it's not insurmountable I yeah. you know there's so and I think part of it also is trying to recognize you know without sounding esoteric but what do we believe about life and life after death and mm. you know are we spirits and energy or is the gone mm. the gone and you know we would have to have these conversations mm. of you know what, what does it mean to have love and is love energy that you know is still there or disappears and you know, so we have these spaces of kind of understanding of who is still with us and all those kinds of things. Um, so unfortunately, grief has been a huge part of their upbringing and not just their father, but, you know, one of them lost his best friend and oh. he was, what, uh, gosh, what, 13 at the time? You know, it was just so much that they've, oh they've seen, but... Um, you know, we it, it it is part of life. I can't mm-hmm. shield it from them. So, um, and and taking away the mystery of death, and of course, I'm the sociologist that yeah. teaches death and dying, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, taking that, and that's when you, I guess you asked me, you know, the sum of what what do I study transference to my parents, yeah. and in that case, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a definite tangible yes, you know, um, looking at how we as a society understand death and dying, and then that definitely shapes um, 
me as a parent with children who are dealing with the, the grief of their father the grief from their father's passing. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I think that's something that so many of us like just struggle with like having conversations with even and um, and I feel like it can be just ignored and like people try to push it under the rug. So being able to have those conversations and to, I feel like that had to be so powerful and um, and not, not necessarily that it made it easier. I'm sure it didn't make it easier, but um, I don't know. I just feel like it had to be a helpful part of that process to be able to have those conversations as a yeah. family and to know that you had this safe space where you could dive right. into this. Yeah. That had to be pretty powerful, I think. Right. And I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the don't tell the children. You know, that's just not a philosophy yeah. that works for me. Um, I agree that there are, you know, there may be um, factors that they're not old enough to know. Yeah. And I also tell them that young to process all of this so you know come mm. back to me when you see and i'll give you more detail or you know at whatever time and space um yeah. but i i don't do the you know let's try not to tell them i, I just don't that doesn't make sense to me i can clearly remember you know people and family members advising me not to tell the children that he committed suicide so that sounds yeah. like the dumbest thing ever yeah. uh, there's nothing about that that appeals to me because when they do find out I am going to have to deal with the fact that I did not tell them, right? Mm. So mm-hmm. that just doesn't sound like anything that I want to deal with. Call me self-indulgent, but that doesn't sound like a good idea because I'm then having to explain why I lied to this child for mm. X many years, right? So mm-hmm. now we're going to deal with it like this from mm-hmm. the front, and then, I, you know, I'll deal with the 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 um, whatever comes with it, any of the hard parts, but we'll at least be dealing with it from a space of honesty, versus trying to clean up a lie that I'm not mm. interested in. Yeah. And that was another thing that you just knew in your gut or like you knew right oh, away. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there, it was not negotiable. It just did not, you know, the, the idea of parent betrayal is just not something that I would lean into. Um, so, you know, the idea of betraying their trust mm-hmm. or lying to them and keeping secrets I that just does not make an ounce of sense to me I mm-hmm. don't see how anyone benefits from that yeah um so no that that I don't indulge in mm. they gotta know yeah that's how that works yeah and then I guess I wonder like for for you caring for yourself and caring for all of them like you know we hear like you know about self-care and I know you have a really like a creative outlet which I love to see and I think it's so cool that um, you use creativity. Is that a part of self-care for you? Is that a way that you like just have your, t- your time for yourself? Or what, what do you turn to like, um, you know, to care for yourself or for self-care? So let's put the cards 100% on the table. Mm. Full transparency. Yeah. I am talking to you right now with a paintbrush in my hand. Ah! <laughs> painting as I'm talking to you. <laughs> and I know you said be still and don't have any distractions. It's not going to happen, girl. I've got a paintbrush in my hand right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's what's happening. That's just what's happening. Um, yeah, so that, that's, yeah, I, you know, I, I like to be creative. Yeah, that's what I do, you know. Um, there's always some kind of craft. I have always been a hobbyist. Mm. So, you know, that that's always been is that part of my self care? Yeah, I think so. And I, I, I think long before I was a, able to label it as such, um, you know, it I just always needed to have a space where I was making something. Mm. Um 
And so that's, that's a given for me. That's definitely a given for me. The creativity part has always sort of been there. I can even, you know, we talk about these things, of, you know, uh, talked about earlier, does it stem from your childhood? You know, those same little dolls that I used to line up to yeah. teach with all had clothes that I made out of washcloth, socks, Aww. you know, whatever I could Aww. find. I was always sewing their clothes. You know, I needed to make um, you know, make things for them and, you know, build little houses out of, you know, the hard covers of books and things like that. Um, so yeah, yeah, that those, the ability to create has always been something that, um, I enjoy. It censors me. Yeah. And I, I, I love it, especially because you also have the academic side. Um, and I, I just think it's, I don't know. I think sometimes people go like all in one way or they're like, it's either your artist or your you're full into one thing, but you you don't allow time for these other aspects of yourself. And I feel like right. you embrace like all these different aspects of your personality and the things that kind of make you who you are. Um, yeah. And like, how do you make time for that? Because I think that be something like, well, obviously, you, whenever you have time, like you can be t- <laughs> talking to me. <laughs> but I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, and, you know, it's totally different now. I mean, you know, all but one of my kids are out of the house. They were all supposed yeah. to be gone, but of course, COVID had a different idea. Yeah. Um, and then the second part is, girl, I don't sleep. So, yeah. you know, I am definitely a when something hits me, I'm going to do it. So I, um, you know, I may or may not see my bed at 2 a.m. And then, you know, I'm back <laughs> up at like, you know, 6 or 7. It's terrible. Yeah, I don't sleep. That is definitely something I have to work on. I do need to work on that. And my sleeping habits are awful. Um, but this stage of life, making time for it is not hard. We're kind yeah. of coasting right now. Everyone is in their own space and, you know, living their own, um, you know, following their own careers and so forth. So it's a lot different. Um, you know, in the crunch of it, there wasn't a lot of creating going on. You know, mm. that, that part's very true. I didn't sort of um, get to indulge as much as I would want to, but that's, you know, well, you know what, in all fairness, maybe that's not true. It just came in the form of science projects. Ah. <laughs> you know, it came in the form of, you know, what little thing did we need to make for this project? Um, you know, it just had to show itself differently, but in yeah. terms of myself and the things that I do now, yeah, you know, that those things were on the, on the side, put on the back burner. So you also have an Etsy shop, though, Kazzy. Am I right about I that? Yes. Can I, you share? Can I you do, share I the do. name of that for us? So it is called M H E Design Studio. So okay. what does that mean? Stands for My Eight Eyes, which is what I call my children. Um, it was a name given to my children by this phenomenal dad that I have so much respect for. His name was Teddy Van. Um, and I remember talking to him, Teddy, uh, Mr. Van has since passed away, but I remember talking to him and he was saying, wow, you have four kids. He said, that is remarkable. You have eight eyes that are always watching you. Wow. I sure enough do. So they have collectively become this thing I call my eight eyes and Mm. it, it, it helps me often when I think about my actions and what I do and. It's kind of why I wear my values on my sleeve, why I'm very outspoken about notions of what I feel are right and wrong and good and bad and treating people a particular way is because I know I am always under a microscope of mm. my children. So that is what the Etsy shop is. It's M-A-E, My Eight Eyes um, Design Studio. 
Oh, I love that. And thank you for explaining like the story behind that. That's really beautiful. Um, Can you describe like what you create and put up on your shop? Here's the crazy thing, right? So this is all COVID related. Yeah. So we're all stuck in the house, right? Which for me, hey, fine. I'm going to paint and do whatever the heck I want. (laughs) So I'm literally painting Frida Kahlo on a flower pot. Oh. one of you know, and I, and I have a large collective of young people in my life. This is where all the kids come. It's mm. always been where children gather, and mm. I guess you know, I guess there's somebody children, but they're grown now. So one of the uh, young ladies at the house, she's senior in college, and she says, "Mama Kaz, you should sell them. Well, you sell them my passport. They're mine. I'm, I'm the only <laughs> child. Mine, mine, mine." Right? <laughs> No, you can't have my pot. I'm not sharing my pot. She's <laughs> like, no, you should sell them. She's like, well, give me these two, and I'm going to try to sell them. And she puts them on Facebook Marketplace. I don't even think about Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> and then she comes back, and she's like, well, I need three more. Oh, I'm wow. Like, Come on now. You know, stifling my flow here. And she's <laughs> like, no, now I need you. And I'm really being followed by her useful energy. Oh. I, I shop at Etsy all the time. Did yeah. I ever think about opening an Etsy shop? Absolutely not. Wow. This was just my hobby, you know? Mm. But I'm, you know, I'm following the advice and the energy of this young sister that's <laughs> like, no, I'm telling you, Mama Cass, this is going to sell. So one given Friday, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it. And oh. it's been phenomenal. It's really been good. I've met a lot of people sold a lot of flower pots um and it's been an outlet I never truly because I I I don't honestly I've never necessarily considered myself an artist I considered myself a hobbyist Mm. just sort of you know I've never taken an art class kind of what I do for fun um but it's been a great experience I appreciate um you know the opportunity to go down a road I would not have thought of going down on my own so I love that I um it's been great I love it and they're beautiful too, Cassie. Like I've seen, like I've seen the Thank pots. You. Yeah, they're really beautiful. They're, yeah. Do you know? Like, do you just do what inspires you? Like, are you like, let me paint these figures, or like, do you just see what happens, or do you have like, like how does how does that happen? Um. So originally, it started as again, I do what I want to do, right? <laughs> so I just say, I'm gonna paint this lady, and I'm just gonna paint, you know, whatever I think about. Um, once I open the shop, of course, I start to lose some of that, right? Mm-hmm. Because people mm-hmm. have demands on you. Yeah. They want this lady in this color with this kind of African fabric or, yeah. you know, this color earring. So I had to, to, then it almost, some of them become a formula. Like I knew what I had to paint for this particular customer. But for the most part, um, you know, I kind of just do what I want, you know, okay, Love she was it. pretty. I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> I like these colors. I'm going to keep doing that. Um, and, you know, try different styles of painting and, you know, but, um, you know, it's pretty much what happens once I put the brush in my hand, unless of course I'm trying to fulfill something for someone in particular, Got it. but Got otherwise it. I just follow what I want. I love it. I what I want. So I, you Me have, too. you have the, all these, like you have interest in like, you know, you got the artistic aspect, um, and I'm just curious, like, what are you learning and, like, discovering in your life right now? Like, um, yeah, what are you learning and discovering in your life right now? Like, what's kind of, like, lighting you up or is, like, I don't know. I'm almost thinking, like, breadcrumbs, like, leading you to learn more about something. I was originally answering your question differently than where it, it, it ended up. So okay. what sort of, what was I learning now? And I thought that was a period. 
I am currently obsessed with Frederick Douglass. Uh, it's the craziest thing. <laughs> I've spent about the last 11 months fighting with Frederick Douglass. It's absolutely. Everyone thinks I'm insane, and I might very well be. But I am slowly, I, you don't understand. Like, I literally will call people like, can you believe he did this? I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, FD, FD, can you believe? Like, what are you, like, you're, like, you're really talking about him like he's in the next room with you. Yes, I'm completely submerged in Frederick Douglass. So that was my, you know, mm-hmm. learning. Um, but I see that you're asking a bigger question. Um, learning about myself, it's really weird now, right? Because I'm like in this empty nest-ish space. Mm-hmm. And where I've spent the last 25 years with this full onslaught to make sure that I am raising boys in a way that makes me, you know, feel good that I am bringing forth people into the planet that won't cause harm. You know, mm-hmm. that has been what I've been doing for 25 years. Okay, you can slow down now. You know, they're, they're doing their own thing. So there's a space of, so what are you going to do? You know, mm-hmm. what do you do with your time now? You know, mm-hmm. things are, are changing. So I think some of the, you know, the arts part is, is coming in. Um, I would have loved to planned on traveling, but, you know, a, mm. a global pandemic would throw a monkey wrench into that. Um, so that, that changed stuff for me. Yeah. Um, but I'm still, you know, trying to figure some of this stuff out. And I like that. You know, I like the transition of not knowing. I like the openness. Um, of sort of seeing what next and that knowing that there's just different avenues that I'm free to go down. Yeah. So there's not much that I am feel limited by. Um, you know, it's just sort of, okay, you know, it's, it's, you know, okay, I'll try it. Okay. okay. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of yes. Well, <laughs> a lot of spaces for yes. Yeah. Well, and I was struck by like a similar thing, even when you were explaining like the Etsy and like the shops, like, okay, let's, you know, let's be open to this or, and how you said the transition of not knowing, like, yeah, that space can be so uncomfortable for people. And it seems like you're like, all right, let's just like see what happens and see what comes. Um, And is that something that, is that something you have to consciously like work on? Or is that something that's just always been a part of who you are? Just something life taught me, like so. I'm no Woody Allen fan. Actually, right. can't stand Woody yeah, Allen, right? Yeah, yeah. But he has this awesome quote, right? If you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Right. So I learned that early. So even if I tried to go, okay, no, I'm gonna follow this formula. Well, you know what? Sometimes the rug gets swept from right mm-hmm. up under you, right? So the need to have to, you know, know that I'm going in this direction and this is the direction mm-hmm. that I have to follow. I kind of lost that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind things aren't necessarily always going to go the way you want so you just got to be open for you know what feels good and go that way yes, yes um yes. so you know i'm i'm not as uh nervous and and and, and it's hard for me because i see my son feeling that pressure now yeah you know, i feel like you know i see them uh particularly the ones that are in grad school kind of questioning if they made the right career choice Mm-hmm. I'm like, bro, you're 23. What mm-hmm. What are you talking about? You don't like it, change it. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? But I can say that to them, you know, at 50, where at 23, they feel this pressure of, I've got to make this, you know, life course that's going to affect the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm like, let it go. You, yeah. don't, you know, there's no reason to suffer through something you're not liking or don't feel, you know, speaks to your spirit the right way. Mm-hmm. Um but they, they, and I think that's also part of them living 
in a world um, that, you know, wasn't around for me. So they live yeah. in this very technology-based world where they're comparing themselves to what they see on whatever that may be, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, <laughs> Snapchat, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> construction of self that they put on view for others. Mm-hmm. Um, are, you know, sometimes an unrealistic barometer that they're trying to match yeah. where they think they should be in life at 23 like come on bro relax mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so you know i but i have to give credence that that pressure is different because i didn't have that yeah i, I didn't live under or have a, the internet to to be a part of my socialization right 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 i know that changes things i feel like and yeah oh yeah 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 like that Absolutely. yeah that comparison Absolutely. piece mm-hmm mm-hmm uh, Kazzy, I feel like I could keep asking you questions, but I do want to be respectful of your time. Um, like, is there anything that, like, I haven't touched on that you would like to share or add or, um, yeah. Just, you know, I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you for thinking of me. I, you know, I, I love the opportunity to just sort of, for me also. So I, I, I journal a lot. I'm a graphic journalist. So this gives me space to also think about and reflect on this thing because you're so, you know, sometimes you're into it. You don't necessarily yeah. recognize what you're doing. You know, you can't see the forest or the trees. So you giving me the opportunity to sort of talk through some of my life's decisions helps me, you know, kind of helps me see what this journey's been like and gives me something extra to write about tonight <laughs> as I go into my graphic journal. So I, I appreciate that. you. I appreciate what you're bringing forth as well, Maureen. Thanks Aww, a lot. Thanks, Kazzy. No, it's like such a treat to like just get to like hear more of your story, like, you know, and see, yeah, just like the lessons that you've learned and like just – I don't know, and I know I didn't really talk about this, but you just seem to really, like, you bring people in, and um, I can see how, like, the, the connections you form are so strong, and uh, and I do. I think that's because, like, you're just, like, you're who you are, and, you know, like, you know, you know that, people around you know that, and there's, like, a comfort, I think, to that, especially in, like, today's day and world, like, you kind of mentioned this earlier with the boys, like, you know, you're not always going to get people telling you the truth, but, like, it's, like, you're kind of people's home in that respect. <laughs> you know, I, I get that sense anyway that, you know, um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing. And that's, you know, why I wanted to have you on. So thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me. I appreciate it. I love it. I absolutely love it. I wish I could hug you. but we'll uh, just Yeah, we'll do a virtual hug. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Cassie. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Apologies if you were listening through headphones and my laugh came through extra loud. So many takeaways from this conversation. Um, I was really struck by how connected Kazzy is to her sense of self and to her own truth, which is anchored in love and has helped her to make choices that put the well-being of her family and herself first, even when other voices might be suggesting that she make other uh, other choices. And I thought that was just powerful to see that example. And I I love hearing stories and sharing stories like this. Um, People who navigate the ups and downs of life in a way that is connected and aligned to their values. You know, in a world that often tells you or tries to tell you who you're supposed to be, it's good to have reminders and examples of people who are making choices aligned to their values rather than the shoulds. So I'd love to hear your takeaways. What did you find yourself thinking about and reflecting on after listening to this episode? 
please share on my website, MaureenRyan.co, or on my Instagram page, Maureen underscore Ryan underscore. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Becoming Aligned newsletter, which um, I send out every other week. And I'd love to have you um, join me there. You can do so at my website, MaureenRyan.co. Thank you so much for listening. Wishing you all the best. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Becoming Aligned. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Becoming Aligned and rate and review this podcast. I'm Maureen Ryan, and I hope you'll join us next time. Take care.